This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., and today we bring you a special episode featuring a conversation with the reporters behind a story about the increasingly divisive political landscape in Wisconsin, with a special focus on Door County. Nora Eckert and Anya Van Wagtendonk spent three months covering election-related issues for VoteBeat, a national nonprofit pop-up newsroom focused on election administration. The article, In Evenly Split Wisconsin, Partisan Divides May Only Grow, was produced for Wisconsin Watch and is featured at wisconsinwatch.org. Nora and Anya joined me by phone to discuss the article and what they learned in their conversations with Door County residents and officials throughout the state. Anya, Nora, thank you so much for joining us on the Door County Pulse podcast. Thanks for having us. Nora, if you could give me some of the background on um, what drew you to this story and kind of explain what the, the story is and I guess everything that you guys were working here for Wisconsin Watch. Yeah, so for the for the last three months that Anya and I have been working as election reporters uh, in the Milwaukee area, but looking around the state, uh, we were kind of thinking of this story the whole time of examining the divisions that had grown in Wisconsin and how they were manifesting and what the solutions were, um, if any. And one of the things that we looked at is not just the partisan rancor that you see in the state, which, you know, some folks say is super present in their communities and others say is overblown. It wasn't just that that we were looking at. We wanted to look at the actual divisions in the electorate and how our elections have come to be so close. So Wisconsin is really like the center centerpiece of, of election season because it is so hotly contested. So we started kind of examining these factors that had led our electorate to have a near 50-50 split going back from the 70s and 80s to now, where we've had four out of the last six elections decided by just over 20,000 votes. And from our reporting, it seems like this trend is going to continue. Point out there that four of these last six elections have been very close, aside from the two Obama elections. And I think that's kind of lost in a lot of the the allegations of fraud and improprieties with this election, is that this wasn't actually an anomaly for Wisconsin for it to be Mm. this close. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. And I think it is something that, I mean, you think about, and I'm, I'm going to misremember this now, but these are the 2000 or 2004 election. I believe it was the 2000 election, um, was decided by something like five or 6,000 votes. So this isn't even the closest election that we've had. So this is certainly not a new thing. I think this year, because it was so hotly contested and the atmosphere was so hot across the state and across the country, they zeroed in on this this tight divide, and especially when this narrow divide was weaponized by disinformation campaigns who were saying that it was so narrow because the election was conducted in a fraudulent way. So as you start looking at this in Wisconsin and, you, and you're looking at the, this partisan divide, what draws you and puts your eyes to focus on Door County? Yeah, so one of the main things that we started off with um, was Door County was on our radar from the from the top just because we knew that it had split back and forth, and it didn't have a history of being a solidly Republican or Democratic county. It had, you know, decades and decades ago, but in more recent years, it had been more, um, more back and forth. And 
what really uh, caught our eye was that it was one of two counties that flipped in this election. Um, so we wanted to examine what that was like. And, and the returns in Door County this year were really, really slim. I mean, I think when we were going through the data, the, the slimmest margins that we've had in 40 years in Door County. So we wanted to look at that and how that dynamic had played out in the community, given that it was such a tight election and that it was a flipped county. Anya, you had covered a lot more of the local impact, talking to some of the business owners here. What did you find? What exactly did that reveal in in talking to folks in Door County? Another thing that came up when Nora and I were sort of deciding on Door County as our our focus county um, is that, as you mentioned, I'm not from here. I've only been in Wisconsin a couple of months now, uh, but I am from a part of Massachusetts that's actually pretty similar to Door County um, in that it is a place a formerly industrial area that is now very popular among people from the New York, New Jersey area who own second homes. And um, it's very now reliant on tourism. And so I wondered, I had this question with Nora, whether some of the dynamics that I grew up around in that area play out in Door County. Um, And sure enough, actually, when I started to speak to locals and business owners, um, that was something that came up was that, you know, there are these national political divides, but then there are also these divides um, that are kind of hyper-local that have to do with how industry plays out, with how tourism plays out, with the more kind of mobile nature of a place that has a large tourism industry. And so I think that played out in, you know, talking to business owners who might have different national political viewpoints, um, but are also contending with these local um, economic and social forces as well. And so what I found in talking to people was that because of the sort of smallness and closeness um, of the community. It's a place where, as I understand, you know, folks know each other, you run into each other, your kids go to the same schools. Um, So there is a little bit more kind of rubbing of elbows on a regular basis, even during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that leads to a little bit of a different um, political dynamic where it might not be as kind of rancorous in a day-to-day way. Although we also, you know, alluded to some of the more rancorous um, elements of this past very difficult year, such as um, the vandalization of the GOP headquarters um, and one business owner receiving some um, pretty intense response to her Black Lives Matter um, signs. When you zero in on Door County, um, it's not maybe the the high budget days of previous newspaper generations where they would just pay for a flight, send people up here. And then you also throw in COVID. So we're not traveling. We're not doing these things in person. So what was the reporting process like? How did you find who to talk to if you can't just simply like kind of walk down the street and and see it with your own eyes and ears? Yeah, uh, I was definitely bummed not to get to do that. I have not yet had the pleasure of really traveling outside of Milwaukee, to be honest. Um and so we had thought about maybe doing that, but for safety reasons, you know, that didn't um, make sense. Um, and so we just sort of, um, Nora has some sources and connections in Door County. And so through that, again, I think from this perspective of um, in a smaller community, folks know each other's business, um, people were able to say, you know, I think I saw this sign at this business and this particular um, sentiment being expressed at this business. And so using that, um, we were able to just cold call people essentially. Um, and, you know, folks are really open to talking about this because I think it really is um, a dynamic that's in play in people's daily lives and people are thinking about and engaging with these issues even, you know, three months after the election is over. And you talked to Sage Conrad, who um, whose family owns the coffee shop just about 
two blocks down from the office that I'm sitting in right now in Bailey's Harbor. Uh, <laughs> I go there quite often. And yeah, you can't mistake the you can't miss the signs that they have up front, um, putting their support forward. What kind of things did she tell you and what was kind of your takeaway from your conversation with Sage? I thought something that was really interesting was that, you know, although she has always had these political beliefs, as far as I can tell, that this was the first year that it seemed necessary to state them publicly and to really um, express that not just as an individual, but as a relatively prominent local business. Um, And I think, again, that's something that um, this election and then also the um, the fight for racial justice that was um, taking place this summer, um, I think both of those things brought that to the fore, which is that people who previously not felt the need to be um, open or explicit about these questions now really feel like they need to take a stand in some large or small way. Um, and so that was definitely something that she expressed was that it no longer felt like as a business um, that they could not express their feelings um, on this issue. Yeah, that was definitely a sentiment we saw throughout the summer. And and really, it, it started to peak with the Black Lives Matter movement earlier in the year, like kind of pre-election cycle before everyone put their candidate signs out at the businesses themselves or just social media posts. This summer in Door County, you, you saw that there was definitely businesses felt an obligation to state where they stand on some of these issues that... I certainly haven't seen before. You know, you talk about Wisconsin's changing demographics politically. Uh, you know, it's always been kind of a purple state on the national election. It flip-flops, um, and it's it's always been fought over from a presidential race standpoint. But even though it was purple, it didn't always feel so hotly contested. You know, in the in the Tommy Thompson years, when Tommy Thompson was governor, I believe, for 12 years in the 90s, it was Republican governor... Democratic legislature in many cases, um, and it didn't seem like there was this th- these silos that there seem to be now. Um, mm. Nora, I wonder if in your reporting, did it reveal kind of wh- how that changed and what how Wisconsin got to where it is now, where it seems like I think in your article you talk about the governor, Governor Evers, and the Republican legislative leaders not even speaking to each other for six months. Yeah, I think something that really encapsulates this moment, which you're, you know, aptly pointing out, is that we've had the least active legislature in the nation um, this past session, this past year. And it was during a time where I think citizens really wanted to see the legislature step up, where they felt very desperate for aid during the pandemic and with everything happening. So the the stakes are higher. Um, what Representative Joel Kitchens uh, told me and Representative Gordon hints is that the intensity is just higher anywhere you go right now, because whether it's the fight for racial justice or the pandemic, everyone feels like these things are affecting their lives in very intimate ways. So it feels as if the government is more involved in their lives, whether they're acting or not acting. It's, you know, affecting them in, in either way. Um, but looking more at, you know, what has led to the situation we have today, there's that emotional element, but there's also some really interesting demographic shifts that I think have created the atmosphere that we're in. One um, was pointed out to me by Charles Franklin. He's the director of the Marquette Law School poll and has some of the best polling on this issue and thinks deeply about it. And he said that what we've seen, especially over the last nine years or so, is a shift from being a slightly democratic state with a slightly more democratic electorate to this even party split. And a lot of that, he says, almost all of it, in fact, uh, comes from white men who don't have a college degree. And we kind of dug into why that is. And of course, Dr. Franklin knows the numbers and is 
willing to ascribe meaning to them other than what he knows. But because he thought about this so much, um, he relayed a few things. One thing that he saw is the decline in labor unions, um, accelerated by Act 10, um, but also intensified by strategies from each party. Um, Democratic messaging used to be much more tailored to the working people, he was saying, and now the GOP has really taken that on as, as one of their most prominent messages and has won over working voters as a result. And that has prompted that shift, um, definitely. Uh, so that's, that's one of the most interesting things. And, and when, when he told me about that trend, I immediately thought, okay, this had to have really seen a big increase in 2016, um, because he sort of automatically credited to the Trump effect, which was my mistake, because he told me this has actually been going on for a while and predated, predated Trump, and that, in fact, it didn't have that much of an increase after 2016. So I think that that's a really important takeaway when you're looking at what has created the environment we're in, is this idea of the labor union plays a big part in that. And it's also increased um, dynam- dynamics and divisions regionally, too. We've seen Southeast Wisconsin is, is less of a Republican, Republican stronghold than it was before, while the northern and western parts are more Republican. Yeah, that was a really interesting statistic, just like how much more the non-college white male voter has leaned Republican than Democrat over, since, I think you said, t- 2012. And like you said, it, it's kind of an interesting thing for reporting nerds. It's just like you go in and you think, okay, this is the obvious thing. It's a, it's a Trump correlation. And then to have it not be is what makes journalism fun. It's what makes it interesting is digging into that and going, okay, what does this derive from? And, you know, with the Act 10 and the um, the gutting of the the power of labor, labor unions in Wisconsin was a, a huge issue here in 2010, 2011. Um, but it's starting to fade from memory. And Trump has, the, the Trump era has kind of sucked up a lot of the, the oxygen and the representation of the Republican Party. But now you're starting to see that the uh, the long term effects of what that act, um, for better or worse, depending on what side you're on, um, what that has is starting to mean politically ten years down the road. So I, I thought that was a really interesting and, and telling yeah. um, bit of information. And then I'll also yeah, and go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, my, I, I forgot to mention too. Of course, this is really important, and Wisconsinites will know this. But Scott Walker's influence can't be ignored here as well. You know, working voters really felt you know, a lot that he spoke to them. Um, and I think that he had a reputation for that, especially in the rural communities where mm-hmm. they felt that their problems are being addressed. So I think that's certainly part of the pattern we see across the state as well. Absolutely. Um, and, he's, and he still has, uh, even though he, he lost that last gubernatorial election, I don't think Wisconsin's uh, done hearing from Scott Walker anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> the... One of the interesting things about this, the split in Wisconsin and this partisan divide is, and I'm not sure which of you might speak to this best, but this is a state that elects Tammy Baldwin, considered one of the more liberal um, senators in the country, and also elects in the same statewide elections, Ron Johnson, one of the most conservative, um, if you will, like a little bit conspiracy minded senators in the in the Senate. Um, you know, f- looking at it from the outside, like how did does that make sense? Uh, maybe Anya, you you'd have a perspective on that. Just to see a state elect those two senators from so so much polar opposites of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, again, as a from an outsider's perspective, to go from Walker to Evers um, along that same line of having 
Republican governor and a Democratic governor, um, along with that split Senate, I think it really does just speak to um, how split the electorate is. Um, when Nora interviewed um, state rep Joel Kitchens, he said something like, um, liberal Wisconsinites tend to be very liberal and conservative Republican, or, uh, Republicans tend to be very conservative. So rather than sort of, I guess, having this um, purple middle that could find candidates reflective of that, you end up sort of with um, folks on both sides of the um, of the spectrum, you know, bringing in people who are kind of further out on either end. Yeah, for, and and Joel's a, Joel Kitchens is a good example of that. I've had a lot of conversations with him over the years, and I think he would probably want to, if he could choose a lane, he'd probably choose like a a moderate center right Republican lane. The but the electorate now makes it very hard for a Republican to toe that line um, and not be um, kind of pushed farther to the right. And I think Joel would admit this. One other thing that was in the article that is the phrase, uh, the, the shift in the, the, the demographics and the, the political divide in Wisconsin, and particularly in Door County, said the shift comes amid a tussle over who represents the real Door County, the highly educated retirees, artists, and environmental enthusiasts in the North, or the farm families in the South. Um, and then uh, you quoted Joel Kitchens, sometimes the different sides don't understand each other very well. I'm kind of curious, um, uh, wondering if you could kind of, Tell us where that comes from, that that impression of the two sides. Yeah, Anya, do you want, um, we can probably both pitch in on this one. Um, I, I can just speak to what, you know, I was talking to Representative Kitchens about uh, with the northern and southern divide that we see and how those places on the surface might seem to represent different values. And I don't think this is just a Door County thing, too. I think this is a, um, a struggle that we see reflected across the state, especially when you're looking at areas like Milwaukee or surrounding suburbs, there is this tension over, and, and the rural areas, what is the real Wisconsin? Um, and I think that's just really a microcosm of that is Door County. Um, and I think that the impression that we got was also from talking to business owners. It wasn't just from Representative Kitchens, but he spelled out how those don't, how those two sides don't really understand each other very well. And it can lead to these divisions Although some folks that Anya talked to, she can speak to, said it's very easy to mend those divisions in Door County. You just have an actual conversation, um, <laughs> and they're kind of disgruntled with this idea that there are these irreconcilable differences that are leading to these political tensions. But yeah, I don't know, Anya, if you want to, you know, chat about what you what you heard from the voters there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to pronounce his last name right, but I spoke to Britt Unkeffer. That's pretty close. Uh, That's good. Wild Tomato. <laughs> Is that right? There yeah. we go. Okay. Uncuffer, Un- but yeah. Very Uncuffer. Okay. He's Wisconsin last name. So yeah, get me every time. Um, Britt Uncuffer uh, of Wild Tomato. And he, you know, one of the ways that I started all my conversations with these business owners was sort of just describe to me the dynamics of Door County, you know, as somebody who hasn't been there, as somebody who's not from there. And one of the things that he described was um, kind of three different layers to the community, sort of the folks who have lived there their whole lives. Um, people have retired there, and then the people who have um, been transplanted at some other point in their lives. So he kind of joked that although he's been coming there since the 80s, um, he does not count as sort of like a lifelong uh, <laughs> Door County resident. Um, and But as a result, you know, um, when I asked him to describe political dynamics, what came up for him much more than national politics um, were local politics where those divisions don't necessarily evenly 
play out. So for example, he talked a lot about um, the need for affordable housing and how as a small business owner, um, it's hard for him, for his employees to find affordable housing near to um, where his businesses are. And so that question of affordable housing is very salient to him and very salient, I imagine, to people who are in need of housing or in need of employees um, who can afford to live where they work. Um, And so that would not necessarily, I think, break down according to how you vote in national elections. And so I thought that was a really important dynamic to speak to, which is that um, there are, you know, these big, very tense national elections that take place and where people kind of, I think, form um, identity. And that's really where, you know, reporters like us come in and we want to know about those questions. Um, But then they also play out in terms of, you know, local schools, local zoning laws, development, things like this. Um, and Britt really talked a lot about how that's where he feels like um, a lot of people's kind of daily political energy goes and also where there is a lot of opportunity in his mind for these kind of civil neighborly conversations um, around what the community should look like um, going forward. Yeah, I would I would agree with Britt on a, lo- a lot of that sentiment. And I was glad that you included that in the article just because there is obviously the the, the national politics seep into almost every conversation it seems um over the last few years but locally the things that people are really impacted by housing is a huge thing here as it is i mean all over the country in it, but especially in tourism destinations um the environment uh water quality those sorts of things and that that doesn't break down by republican or democrat like both of them they want clean water to come out of their drinking faucet they want their employees to be housed and they want to figure out solutions to that and it is actually covering it at the local level. It's kind of nice to focus on those things and, and put the other stuff aside and see where people can find <laughs> solutions. But, you know, on social media, you also see the, the some of these same people that you you know can have cordial conversations and work together for solutions. But on social media, you would think, based on the arguments that happen there, that these people could never be in the same room together. Um, and mm. one of those times where you where you look at it and go like, ah, this is just poisoning everything. I wonder also to what extent, you know, we don't touch on this in the article, but to what extent the pandemic kind of exacerbates that in that people are not meeting up in person quite as much. And so they are kind of retreating to social media where there can be a little bit more of an echo chamber um, and where you can very easily, like you say, forget that the people that you're engaging with are real human beings. Whereas, you know, when you see one another in the pickup line at school or in the grocery store, um, or at lunch at a local coffee shop or pizzeria, um, you remember, you know, that's your neighbor. That's the person who helped you out that one time. Um, and you just don't have those kind of organic meetups anymore uh, in the pandemic. That's a really good point. I think that's definitely played a role in it. And one last question, and I'm not sure which of you would be best to answer this, but did you, in your reporting, did you find where this divide has hampered Wisconsin's efforts to fight COVID-19 and fight the virus? Anya, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about redistricting because I think that actually plays a big role in in uh, the response to COVID-19. Um, yeah, I, and this is this might be a bit of a circuitous path, but I really do think that's one of the, the key players is that the, at, the, at the center of this, I think, is inaction by the, the legislature um, and I, it, to provide relief on a statewide scale. And a big part of, of that is, is the feeling that lawmakers aren't responsive to their citizens. And at the root of that, a lot of researchers say is 
gerrymandering. So um, I talked to Sachin Cheta. He's the director of the Milwaukee-based Fair Elections Project about this. And they're working to promote independent redistricting. And he was he was describing how politicians feel that they need to take the most partisan stance they can, the most extreme stance to win over citizenry in the primaries, because the way that our districts are drawn, as long as they can secure that primary and be the loudest voice in the room, um, they can win the general. And what that creates and how that connects to COVID-19 is they get into the legislature and a lot of times, you know, people like Sachin Cheta said, they, they don't feel a need to respond to their citizens anymore. And even if they do feel that there should be more active response to the pandemic, they worry about what the more extreme folks who will likely reelect them in a primary setting for the next cycle will respond to that. And if they think and if they're reinforcing the idea that this is a not a immediate threat to their, you know, constituents, then their constituents won't demand it and they won't act. And that might seem like a very like zigzaggy way of getting to the point, but I really do think that's the root is that there's this system of folks who it is, I think, in their best interest not to act at this time because the virus and the pandemic have been politicized to an extent that any sort of action is almost seen as a partisan stance, right. even as ridiculous as that is. Um, and, you know, that's that's led to the gridlock that we've seen in this session and, you know, in the past six months. And the real frustration I think a lot of Wisconsin citizens have about in in the time of most need, there's been little help. Yeah, well, I, I'm really glad you actually tied that to gerrymandering, because <clears throat> when you when you try to explain legislative maps or gerrymandering, you're throwing out a couple of words generally that will turn off readers, right? And, and, <laughs> and, you know, most people don't know what gerrymandering is. It's been a lot of education the last few years to even get that baseline level up to a certain spot. But then beyond knowing what it is, all right, like, why does it matter? Why, how does it actually play mm-hmm. out in the, in the legislative process or the electoral process? And I think what you just did there puts a good example. And that's just one of many issues where that takes place. And I've, I've talked to representatives on both sides of the aisle who echo that sentiment that it does make you play to the extreme parts of your base rather than trying to find a middle ground for your broader constituency. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Anya, Nora, anything else that you wanted to mention about uh, working on this story or um, digging into the politics of Door County? Miles, I want to correct myself. Uh, this quote <laughs> that I had at the beginning, just to clarify that it was our 2000 uh, election across the state that was decided by about 50, uh, 5,600, 5,700 votes. And 2004 was around 11,000. So I'm sorry about that. But yeah, other than that, I think, you know, one of the big things that I want to emphasize from the story as a whole, that there's, there's a lot that keeps Wisconsin held together. I think it's, it's very easy uh, to focus on the issues that we have, and there are a lot of them. But there are plenty of representatives like Representative Hintz and Representative Kitchens who are just as frustrated with this as I think a lot of voters are and, and you know, working to change it. And, of course, they don't see eye to eye, but they're trying to find this this common ground. And, um, you know, folks like Satin Chetta who are working to put redistricting back in the hands of citizens. And there are a lot of people, I think, working to bring communities together, even the, the people that Anya talked to trying to mend divisions between their neighbors. I, I don't want to give the impression that Wisconsin is spiraling down this, <laughs> this black hole <laughs> with no return because 
as a you know nearly lifelong resident, I would hate for that to be the reality, and I don't think that is. But I think you know we have to acknowledge the trends that have brought us to this this reality and take a good look at how we're going to change if we want to. Thank you, Nora and Anya, for joining us today on the Door County Pulse podcast. Thank Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.